Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello everybody and welcome into this week's La Liga Lowdown Match Day Recap with me, your host, Jim McTeer, and with this episode rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We'll be looking at Match Day 24 of the La Liga season and it could prove to be a pivotal one in the title race. That's because leaders Atletico Madrid lost 2-0 at home to Levante and we're going to start with that match. The scoreline hardly tells any of the story, actually, because... Atletico absolutely dominated Levante in this game. They had 11 shots on target to Levante's one shot on target, yet it finished 2-0 to the visitors at the Wanda Metropolitano. That's because a Jose Luis Morales attempt was so heavily deflected that it went in as a Mario Hermoso own goal and because Jorge de Frutos scored into an open goal from around halfway in stoppage time, able to do so because Jan Oblak had gone up for an Atletico corner, where he may or may not have been felt. To really explain this result, though, we need to bring up Levante's backup goalkeeper, Danny Cardenas. Given a rare opportunity, he absolutely made the most of it by producing a total of 11 saves, some of them spectacular. So let's find out more about this little-known 23-year-old from Catalonia now, and we'll do so with Paco Pollitt. Just how amazing was the performance from Cardenas and why was he even playing in the first place instead of Aitor who, I mean, is another really good goalkeeper in his own right. His performance was almost perfect in every sense. His saves also showed a wide range of skills under the sticks, with that amazing flying save in the Luis Suarez free kick that he lightly touched and then hit the woodwork, or his quick reflexes when denying Lemar of his magnificent volley, or even every ball deflected in a few futsal-style clearances. Regarding the reason for him starting the game, I guess Paco Lopez wants him to be in good shape before the second leg of the Copa del Rey semi-final against Athletic Club. And as three weeks were going to separate both games in the Copa del Rey, granting Cardenas the chance to play against top of the league was an excellent opportunity to test his skills before such a crucial match. It's great for Levante to have both Cardenas and Aitor on their books, but what does this mean in the short term and the long term then? Because I guess they might sell one of them in the summer, right? In the short term, it means that two excellent keepers get to play regularly as Levante have been able to move into the final rounds of Copa del Rey. And 
in my view, I'd say Aitor has the slightest advantage over Cárdenas because of his experience. But the two of them are an absolute guarantee for Levante's defense, which, by the way, and arguably often allows the opposition plenty of chances to make the keeper shine. In the long term, it could mean some trouble for the manager if he has to pick one or the other, if they both sustain their amazing form. But as you said earlier, the chance of one of them leaving next summer is absolutely in the cards. Remember, Aitor has been a dream for a long time for Athletic Club, whereas it seems Cardenas' amazing season has been noticed by big teams such as Real Madrid. And remember, Levante have to make around 60 million euros in transfers next summer in order to balance their books, so one of the keepers could easily be included in that entry. Looking at Levante's week as a whole, they played Atletico twice in four days and earned a 1-1 draw and then this 2-0 win. They even used two different formations in these matches, so how much credit does Paco Lopez deserve? I really don't like doing so, but it's absolutely necessary to stress just how good of a task Paco Lopez and his staff are performing in Levante's dugout. There's a small but very vocal minority of Levante fans who heavily criticize their manager and often make fun of his rotations in social media, he speaks in the midfield, the way the team doesn't really nail their defending, and they always tend to overlook just how good the team has looked the whole season. The amazing fact of beating regularly Real Madrid, Barca and now even Atletico Madrid when such a thing was something impossible only a couple of seasons ago or getting the team into a Copa del Rey semi-final, and, above all, the fact that around 17 or 18 players are looking very, very good currently, thanks to Paco Lopez really giving them the chances and the opportunities to show their worth. In my view, this is only my opinion, Paco Lopez should be a strong contender for coach of the season. That's an opinion I share as well, and many others too, I'm sure. Now, there were two moments in the game where Atleti fans think they were unlucky. There was a disallowed Korea goal and then a potential penalty on Jan Oblak in the Levante box just before De Frutos went and scored. What were your thoughts on both those incidents? Well, for sure, Atleti fans will believe I'm biased because I'm Valencia-based, but I'm going to tell it like it is. Correa's goal was correctly disallowed because Luis Suarez clearly pushed a defender who was clearing the ball under the sticks. And similarly, I'd say the referee should have at least checked a potential penalty over Oblak because Danny Gomez seems to be illegally holding him. The only clear replay shot of the incident only let me see the Levante players back, so I'm not 100% sure, but something definitely happened right there, because as a general rule, goalkeepers inside the opposite box always try heading the ball and finishing the play, and they don't really know how to dive. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think if you give the foul for the push on the disallowed goal, then you probably have to give the penalty for the All Black incident too, so one of those athletic grievances are probably fair, but maybe not both. Before you go, just a quick word on Valencia, who beat Celta Vigo 2-0 with two very late goals, but this was a Celta side missing the suspended Diago Aspas and Bryce Mendes, and that went down to 10 men when goalkeeper Ruben was sent off, so did Valencia make this a lot harder for themselves than it should have been? Okay, I'll try to keep it short and simple. Valencia against Celta was an absolutely abhorrent game to watch as a fan, as a professional journalist, and I'd even say as a neutral spectator. Valencia had to win, and they got the job done. 
that's it. Kang In Lee was the obvious highlight of the game, with Manu Vallejo's impact coming off the bench being crucial for toppling the game in their favour, and also a key Silesen save late in the second half. But Valencia are facing a larger identity crisis if you watch the full game against a team like Celta who lack their two biggest players, Aspas and Bryce Mendez, and play with an injured Tapia almost the whole game in the midfield. Bottom line, big win for Valencia, but they need to improve much, much more if they really want to be considered a proper team in the remaining three months of competition. Okay, thanks for all that, Paco, for the insight on the two teams from the city of Valencia. We're going to talk about another side from the Valencian community now. We're going to talk about Elche, who have some optimism back after changing coach and welcoming in Fran Escriba back to the club. They went and got a huge victory over Ibar the weekend, one that the local commentators really enjoyed. So this is our sore throat game of the week this match day, and we've got Alan Feely to talk us through it. Over to you, Alan. Elche secured a pivotal 1-0 victory over Ibar on Saturday afternoon in La Liga at Estadio Martínez Valero, their first win since October 23rd and their first clean sheet since December 6th. The decisive goal came in the 33rd minute, when Danny Calvo steered home a superb header after Antonio Barahan floated in an inch-perfect cross from the right side. It was Calvo's first goal in La Liga, and Ibar goalkeeper Marco Dimitrovic since then a chance. Unsurprisingly, it was a goal celebrated enthusiastically on Elche TV. Ibar had a penalty shot turned down when Kike Garcia took a tumble in the box just before half time, and the Basque visitor is actually the better side for much of the first half. Elche dominated the second, however, and overall it was an even game where both sides had good chances. The win marked Fran Escriba's first game in charge of Elche after he took the reins of the club for the second time following Jorge Almiron's resignation and was greeted with joy by Anda Elisitana upon the final whistle. Segundo final, final del partido, victoria del Elche después de tres meses sin ganar. Carrasco suman los primeros tres puntos en el marcador, Carrasco. Sí, bueno, fíjate qué alegría. Por lo y menos. qué mejor debut para Fran Escriba, Carrasco. Debut soñado, Cristian. Escriba previously led Che to promotion to the Primera back in 2013, but left for Getafe in 2015 after the club was relegated due to financial irregularities. Their level of points was Ibar in 17th and Real Valladolid in 19th, but of two games in hand. Escriba's influence is already clear to see. The team in a proper shape for the first time in some months, and instead of sitting on their early lead, pushed forward in search of a second, coming close to finding one on a number of occasions. Overall, the players seem to have a better sense of what their roles were. Next up for Elche is a dawning trip to Catalonia to take on Barcelona, while Ibar welcome Huesca, who will be another crucial six-pointer in the relegation battle. Thanks for that, Alan. Good times end for Elche with Escriba back at the club, and... If you're interested in learning more about what Escriba achieved there last time, we've got a podcast that charts Elche's full history and it's available on LaLigaLowdown.com. By the end of the season, we'll have such a podcast for every single club in La Liga. We've already done Aibar, Sevilla, Athletic Club and some others as well. Well worth 
checking those out if I do say so myself. Anyway, we've reached the halfway point of this episode, but don't go anywhere because we've got so much more coming up after this short break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We heard in part one about how Atletico Madrid have been dropping points, so could their title rivals take advantage? Well, Real Madrid won 1-0 at Real Valladolid to claw back some ground, and we'll discuss them in just a bit. And Barcelona looked like they were going to squeeze out a 1-0 win over Cadiz on Sunday after an early Messi penalty, but then Clement Longley committed a very silly fill to allow Alex Fernandez to equalise for Cadiz and earned them a memorable 1-1 draw at the Camp Nou. For Barcelona, it's just another bad result after their 4-1 thrashing at the hands of PSG a few nights before. Despite this nightmare week, our Barca fan, Roman de Arker, he's brave enough to face the music, and he's here with me now. Considering Barcelona completely dominated this game against Cadiz in terms of almost every stat, what's your feeling at dropping these two points, Roman? The feeling, as you may imagine, is of disappointment because it was a good opportunity for Barca to redeem themselves at least a little bit after that really tough defeat against PSG in the Champions League. And also, let's not forget that in the first game of La Liga between Barcelona and Cadiz, uh, Barca lost uh, that game. So now Cadiz, we know, wasn't in such a good shape. They've been losing a lot of games, dropping a lot of points. Uh, They're not playing as well as they were before. So it was definitely... Uh, the conditions were perfect for Barca to to come in and, and get three points and, and also catch up with uh, Atletico Madrid, who lost against Levante, and also keep track of Real Madrid, who won. 
but uh, they were incapable of making the most of that, so uh, definitely not what uh, Barca fans wanted to see in this game. Why couldn't Barcelona build up a greater advantage in this game? What, what was it they were lacking in attack? Well, if you look at the stats, Barca had 20 shots, and the thing is that only four of those were on target, which is definitely very poor. you got to uh, do a lot more with, with those numbers, you know, and there's clearly a problem in terms of precision, in terms of accuracy, so I don't know if it's maybe the fact that we're missing a decent number nine, that could be one of the reasons, it's a guy with a killer instinct to finish these opportunities off, because I mean, a lot of the chances Barca had against Cadiz should have ended in goal, but for some reason, they just don't, so I mean, I don't know if it's it's mentally they have some kind of blockage, or if it's uh, the fact that we just lack a bit more quality up front in attack, which, which could be one of the reasons for sure. Yeah, I think it is a lot to do with that lack of a number nine. They even finished this game with Pique as their centre-forward, which, I mean, come on. Anyway, so Cadiz then equalised after being let off the hook, and they did so because of the latest silly felt from Longley. Are fans getting annoyed with him now? Absolutely. I mean, a lot of fans are getting a bit tired with Lenglet because... Um, with Piquet being injured, he was expected to step up to be the main centre-back for Kuman, but it wasn't really the case because um, even Umtiti or Mingenza were sometimes the first choice ahead of Lenglet, and we all know that Araujo was uh, two or three steps ahead of Lenglet in terms of performances. So the Frenchman has, has not been the guy uh, the club signed a few years back, and in that penalty he, he caused, I mean, you can tell he's not completely focused on the game, you know, he's not 100% uh, concentrated and if he would have been aware of, of his surroundings and if he would have been focused he possibly could have avoided that uh, really silly penalty so something's not right with Lenglet unfortunately and I hope he can somehow improve or, or fix that because if not uh, I don't know uh, if he'll last very long at the club Well at least Bartomeu didn't give Lenglet a new contract until 2026 the week before he resigned Oh wait, that's exactly what he did well, finally, Roman, what's the outlook for Barcelona for the rest of the season? It looks difficult in, well, in La Liga, in the Champions League and in the Copa. Well, the outlook is possibly very similar to what it was at the beginning of the season. I mean, I personally thought that La Liga and the Champions League were always out of the picture because uh, for those competitions, you need to be in tip-top form. You need your players to be performing uh, at a really high level. And I think nobody thought that Barca would be uh, doing that anyway. I did think that maybe in the Copa del Rey there might be a slight uh, possibility, but after that 2-0 defeat against Sevilla, it looks uh, really, really bad. And I just don't see Barca enjoying another amazing comeback as we saw uh, against Granada. So for fans, I think what what the best we can expect for this season is for the youngsters to, to keep getting minutes, to keep developing and adapting to this uh, level of football and hopefully uh, they can be very useful assets for the near future Okay, thanks Roman for that we're going to jump across the classical divide now and discuss Real Madrid with our resident Madridista Hassan Karim It's actually four wins in a row now for Real Madrid, even though this exactly coincides with their injury crisis So Hass, the backups have actually been doing well in terms of grinding out these results, haven't they? Are there any of them who've particularly stood out to you? The backups have certainly been doing very well, but one player I really particularly want to highlight was Arribas. Just every time he had the ball at his feet, he just looked very sharp. He was very clean with his movements, 
and always seemed to do the best and the right thing. Okay, there are a few moments where he did um, lose possession, but generally speaking, you know, when he's on the ball, he's very tidy, very clean, and just very, very useful. Um, and I think he's a player that could definitely be- become a very useful asset to Zinedine Zidane, even more so than these moments of serious crisis within options of how many players he's got so having players like you know Arabas who's stepped up big time is uh, definitely a blessing in disguise in terms of the usual suspects who stood out in this game Real Madrid did need quite a lot of help from Courtois just how much did he frustrate Real Valladolid Thibaut Courtois has quite literally been winning points single-handedly for Real Madrid at times, not just this season, but also in the last season as well. His turnaround in form is just terrific, it really is. Um, and he's absolutely just huge for Zidane and his, his back line, especially given the fact that they're not as uh, sturdy as they have been in recent you know, in recent times. Um, obviously, there was that huge double save that he made in this game. Um, he's just He's been looking completely and utterly unstoppable. Um, and when he does even concede, it's not often his fault. It's usually a case of he was left stranded and had little else in the way of safety. But generally speaking, uh, Courtois has been absolutely fantastic and leading Real Madrid from the back. Um, I do think genuinely he's on track for yet another Zamora trophy come the end of the season. And Casemiro has been leading Real Madrid from well, from the middle, from the front, from everywhere. He's the one who got the goal and it's now six for him in the season. But is it a concern that Casemiro is Real Madrid's second top scorer? This is going to sound utterly nuts, but I'm actually not hugely concerned because I'm so used to it at this stage. For the last couple of seasons, I feel like we've had that same problem, but the, the name has just been different. Last season, Sergio Ramos was our second highest scorer after Karim Benzema. It's not a surprise, really, given how how much Real's leading sort of attackers lack to pre- give goals to the team. They just don't present them. Asensio's never been a leading scorer. Rodrigo had a good spell last year, but by and large isn't producing enough just yet. Vinicius has long been a player that doesn't finish very well. Mariano Diaz barely ever plays, and Luka Jovic, well, he's not even here right now. So this doesn't shock me because Real just do not have the options for anybody else to be the second top scorer and that is quite frankly to some degree disgraceful on Florentino Perez's part he's allowed that to happen but hey ho that's another discussion for another day yeah and I'm sure we'll have that discussion down the line especially with presidential elections coming up at Real Madrid later in the year for now the top scorer Benzema might not be available against Atalanta on Wednesday night how do you feel about that possibility Obviously, we got Mariano Diaz because Luki Jovic is currently no longer at the club whilst being on loan at Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, but Mariano, like, I, I like him. He's a good player. He works hard. He presents something slightly different to the others. You know, he he presses. You know, he's got a good a good bit of pace to him. You know, he can finish, but he's not good enough to be leading Rail's line in the game like this. To be honest with you. Um, I mean, watching him against, uh, you know, Valladolid this weekend, it was like watching Morata at times again, you know, continually offside, never in the right positions, just all around, not not particularly inspiring. Um, so I'm not banking on too much to be coming from him against Atalanta, should he be the man that is tasked with that filling in the Benzema role. Um, it's going to be quite a 
scary time for Real Madrid fans if Benzema is out for any particularly extended period of time. Yeah, that would be scary for Real Madrid fans. We'll see if Benzema does make it back in time for this midweek's Champions League action. As always, we'll be updating you on all developments like that on our Twitter account, so be sure to follow us there. Anyway, thank you, Haas. It's time, I think, to discuss some of the weekend's other results now, starting with the huge comeback win for Huesca against Granada on Sunday. Granada's new signing, Domingos Quina, scored a stunning goal early on to make it look like this could be yet another disappointing Huesca result, but three goals in the final 15 minutes of the first half meant they were 3-1 up by the break. They even missed a penalty too. Granada did pull one back in the second half, but that was also Huesca get another win under Pacheta. They're still bottom, but they sure look like they have some fight about them now. Alaves, meanwhile, they had a bit less fight when they went down 4-0 to Real Sociedad in that past derby. After Real Sociedad were thumped 4-0 themselves by Manchester United in midweek, they took their anger out on their neighbours, I think. It was Alexander Isak who was a star man. He scored a hat-trick in this win. And I think La Real really needed this to get their season right back on track. Speaking of getting back on track, Villarreal need to do that soon. They've now gone six games in a row in La Liga without winning after they had a 1-1 draw in Bilbao against former coach Marcelino and his athletic side. With 13 draws from 24 games, Villarreal have the most draws in the division by far. They need to start turning some of those into wins. going to finish this episode off by talking about Hitafi and their current woes. They lost again this weekend, this time following to Real Betis 1-0 on Friday night, a match where Real Betis could even afford to miss a penalty before scoring a later penalty for the game's only goal. With this result, it's now 539 minutes without a Hitafi goal. They may never have been a free-scoring side, but they've never struggled to score quite this much, so Let's find out what's going on by bringing in Hitafi fan Dom Tancock. Dom, what's going on? For me, the the problem is the constant chopping of the starting eleven um, and the flair players like Kubo and uh, Portillo not getting much game time at all, really. And the confidence in the whole side is just is just shot. Um, and it's a bit of a concern, really, when Aaron Barry has looked like the most dangerous goal scorer in the side and I really like him but you know he wasn't brought in the side for his goal scoring uh, powers I think Mata looks a shadow of the player he was last season and the season before but um, you know I think Orge Molina is such a big miss in that combination Molina and Mata were superb together Cucho and Unal for me aren't out and out goal scorers and probably aren't good enough um, at this level and Angel comes off the bench he does a job but Again, Angel fed off Jorge Molina, and I think Molina is a, is a huge loss to the club. Um, and one which potentially, you know, despite Molina's age, he's doing a fantastic job when he gets on for Granada. Is exactly the type of player Getafe need right now. Yeah, I think you're right. He's still looking good enough at Granada. Defensively, though, Getafe aren't what they used to be either. Against Betis, Chacla and Cabaco just... Didn't work as a centre-back partnership, did they? I think defensively, you know, we just 
look like we don't concentrate enough. Cabaco uh, and Dejeuner are probably our, our strongest partnership at the moment. Chalker for me, or Shackler, sorry, is just just not up to the job. And, and the needless penalty he gave away moments really after we'd got got away with one when uh, Soraya saved the first penalty on against Betis. You know, for me, Shackler, is, it's just criminal to give away that second penalty. And um, we would have got a point, I think. You know, I think we actually would have got a point. A lot of the defensive woes for me go from the transfer window last season when Carbera was allowed to leave to go to Espanyol. Um, and ever since then, really, because he was really solid for us and someone you could rely on. Him and Dejeuner were superb together. So for me, that's where our issues have kind of come from. And we've not quite looked the same since. You mentioned Jenny there. He was one of the players who spoke after this Betis loss and said that Hitafi have lost what their identity was. I thought that was quite an unusual statement, quite a bold statement to make, but do you agree with it? I think Dejeuner's right. You know, we have lost our identity. Um, we've spoken, I think, every time we speak about the lack of crowds. And again, you can argue that that's the same for everyone, but... Getafe with the way they play just feed off the home crowd at the Coliseum but also the away crowd you know when when the game gets niggly and they get in people's faces the crowd gets at them you know it was kind of an us and them mentality which which Getafe at the moment have completely lost I think we've been found out I think you know clubs have worked out that you know our tiresome antics they get in the referee's face more and um, you know I think that's got a lot lot to do with it as well but yes we've absolutely lost our identity it's a massive concern and I think when you look at our league position now you know we are just three points off the relegation zone and the teams below us have um, a couple of teams below us have games in hand so you know it's going to be a real real concern the next five games we've got Real Valladolid and Elche and Osasuna in those games uh, we've got to be winning two or three of them I think so given all we've just talked about, what does this all mean for the future of Jose Bardalas? You know, it's it's you're kind of between a rock and a hard place. You know, what he's achieved with the club is fantastic. But I think we've spoken again before about it's possibly a season too long for him. The club can't afford to sack him. Probably three million euros is what I've read uh, this week that it would cost to relieve Bardalas of his duties. Um, and the club has no money. Um, Angel Torres seems reluctant to push the button on, on Bordelas. And I think, you know, at the very least, we'll wait until the end of the season. But that could be, you know, that could be too late. We could be down and playing in uh, Segunda. So um, it's a it's a big moment and the, the next three or four games are key. I know we've looked at Michel and we've looked at Roberto Moreno. They're the two names that constantly seem to be linked. But, um, you know, for now, I think Bordelas has just got to regroup us and try and get that mentality back into the side, that identity that Dejeuner spoke about. And it'll be tough, but I think we can do that, um, trying to be positive. And if we can get a couple of wins in our next five games, then it might look very different in a month's time. Okay, thanks, Dom, for the lowdown there on Hitafi and their recent struggles. That brings us towards the end of this episode then. Thanks again to Paco Pollitt, to Alan Feely, 
to Roman de Arker, to Hassan Karim and to Dom Tancock. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and we'll be back with our next matchday recap at the same time next week. Until then, have a good week and thanks a lot for tuning in to this one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.